What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout. I am the CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I am doing a little bit of an experiment today. I am sitting in our W2O offices in front of a live audience. We have some of our employees sitting in watching. Uh, I have the pleasure today of talking to Komal Ahmad, who is the founder and CEO of Copia. You'll find out more about who they are and what they do. I learned today that she has received some prestigious awards that uh, make her that much more impressive. The Nelson Mandela Humanitarian Award. Uh, I think most of you have heard his name. And then just recently, Toyota's Mother of uh, Invention. So um, you're going to learn more about her background, where she came from, and some of the humor and wit. But uh, she's a very smart woman, very ambitious, very driven. She's creating a movement. Welcome, Komal. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for being here. And it's also fun because we did get to hang out a little bit at South by Southwest after all the craziness was over. So we got to sort of relax with our hair down a little bit. I will leave it at that. <laughs> Nothing nefarious happened, but there may have been you know, a lots of A few too drinks. many mar- margaritas, yes. yeah. Um, so I will start by going through your background. And I have to say, one of the things I love to do is look at people's LinkedIn. My last guest that I had, who I won't mention, actually did not have a LinkedIn profile. And that was the first time that's ever happened to me. That's not the case with Comal. Um, but you go through and you sort of learn people's journey, and then I, it's like a puzzle pulling these things together. So um, I wasn't surprised by some of them. She was a uh, salutatorian at her high school. Uh, she went to UCAL Berkeley. Um, her first venture actually was, I think, or y- you worked at a company where you actually focused on sort of helping you know, with the food problem. Um, the thing that was a little bit of a wild card which made my brain sort of skip on the record, was that you were a midshipman in the U.S. Navy for four years. Is that right? So I have to ask about that, first of all. Like, where did that come from in this whole journey of, you know, I'm an advocate, I'm telling my, you know, UCAL Berkeley cafeteria they have to do this, and then all of a sudden I'm in the Navy. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you again for having me. Growing up, I had four very distinct career options um, as South, from South Asian parents. You know, it's a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or complete failure. So I heard I, you do that four times, and well, I still laugh well, every single time. I always wanted to be a Bollywood actress, and um, seemingly unrealistic. I'm I'm doing something far more realistic now, which is solving world hunger. And um, so. But, but at the time, I mean, I was all destined to achieve my brown girl dream and fulfill my parents' destiny for me to be a doctor. And I always wanted to do Doctors Without Borders and practice medicine abroad in like very dire situations. And when the Navy approached me uh, as in high school and when the military approached me in high school, they wanted me to you know, do special forces and be a linguist and all of the things and wanted me to go directly from high school to the military. And I was like, not about that life. I was like, I got to go to college. I want to go to medical school. Like, I have to do this. And so then they presented this incredible opportunity to be a doctor in the Navy. And I thought, how cool is that? I mean, not only do you get the best medical training in the world, you also get to practice in these, you know, very dire situations all over the world. And I was so excited about that. And you know, when I stopped wanting to be a doctor, you know, things changed a little bit. But also, I think it is why I had empathy. The reason Copia started was, um, you know, I was walking down Telegraph Avenue and I encountered a homeless man who was begging for food. And something about him compelled me to stop and invite him to join me for lunch. And during lunch, he sat across from me just scarfing down his food. 
So he was unbelievably hungry. It wasn't a ploy for anything else. And in between bites, he shared a story. He said, my name is John. I just came back from my second tour in Iraq. I've been waiting weeks for my military benefits to kick in. And because they haven't, you know, I haven't eaten in three days. And that really hit home for me. I mean, this is a veteran, you know, someone who I could be in a few years, um, who had given the most selfless sacrifice for our country, only to come home to face yet another battle, that of hunger and homelessness. And in that situation, what was even more ridiculous was that right across the street, Berkeley's dining hall was throwing away thousands of pounds of perfectly edible food. So it was this very stark reality of those who have and waste and those who are in need and starve, and those two people right across the street from one, one another. And you know, I think that's when I realized that this is actually emblematic of a much larger problem. And that's that we waste over 365 million pounds of perfectly edible food every day. And that's not last night's pad thai or this morning's half in croissant, but untouched, unopened, amazing food. And while that's happening in places like Silicon Valley, one of, one of the wealthiest places, not just in our country, but on the planet, one in four don't know where their next meal is coming from. So one of the things that you are well known for saying, and this will sort of take it from that micro, I had this experience with John, I, I think was his name. Um, you call hunger the developed world's dumbest problem. And I know you talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's one of those things where it really is when you sit back and think about it, you know, not just the dining hall and John being hungry, but on that global scale. And if you do the math, by the way, that 365 million pounds of food every day translates into 133 billion pounds of food. And this is just in the United States. And so this is a staggering number and it's crazy. We'll talk a little bit about what you're doing in a minute in terms of some of the numbers of people you've fed and the, the pounds of food that you've saved. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, you created this company, Copia. It's a, a for-profit and we'll talk more about that in a minute so I won't steal our thunder. But um, how did this come to be and, you know, what is Copia, like what are the nuts and bolts of what Copia does? You actually made a good analogy earlier, which I'll let you use because I think that sort of uh, brings it home to everybody. Yeah, so I mean, I think just to kind of step back and give context as to why it was even necessary. Uh, so I, you know, after I met with John the veteran, I um, marched up to our dining hall managers and I asked them, what do they do with their excess food? And they said, well, we try not to have any. I was like, yeah, okay, well, what do you do when that happens? And after a lot of pushing and prodding, they finally admitted that they do have excess food. They have to throw it away. And so I said, well, why would you throw it away when you could go right across the street to people in people's park and donate it? And they said, because of liability, we don't do that. It's like, yeah, you know, homeless people's high-powered attorneys are standing by just to sue you. And he couldn't afford a hamburger, but somehow he can afford a litigator. And it was, it was just a ridiculous excuse. And so I did my own research, and it was really just a Google search. And I discovered that in 1996, Congress passed a federal, so it's applicable in all 50 states in Puerto Rico, um, act that protects all businesses, regardless of whether you're a corporation, organization, or even an individual from any liability when you donate your food. And I also discovered that in the last 22 years, the number of lawsuits or legal claims that have been filed against any business or individual has been zero. But everybody in the mother has, you know, a, their uncle's hotel that shut down because they donated food when, in fact, that never happened. And so, um, you know, I printed all this out. I took it to the executive director of our dining hall and I said, I want to start this donation program. This is the right thing to do. Here's all the protection. This is how I'm going to do it. 
I thought you'd be pretty persistent when I want to be. And so in less than 10 minutes, he agreed. And we went off to start one of the nation's first food recovery organizations on a college campus, which is basically students picking up food from our dining halls, our on-campus events, our stadium, our arena, and then redistributing it directly to local nonprofits. Great idea. S you know, like super simple idea, um, except it was just hugely inefficient. Now, one day I'm sitting in class and our dining hall manager calls and he's like, hey, Komal, no one came to this event, so we have 500 gourmet sandwiches left over. They need to be picked up in two hours, otherwise we're going to have to throw them away because we need the fridge space. So do you want them? It's like, yeah, I want them. He's like, okay, great, come get it. Like, mind you, I'm still sitting in class, and, <laughs> and so I grab my bag, I dash across campus, I jump into a zip car, I go through all these one-way streets up to our loading dock, and I begin loading this food into the trunk of my car. And it's perishable food, so it has to move as quickly as possible, so I'm blasting the AC while I'm frantically trying to get these sandwiches in, and I finally do, and I slam the trunk, and I'm like, thank God this is amazing food. Of course there's going to be nonprofits that want it. And so then I proceed to call 30-plus nonprofits in Berkeley, in Oakland, even as far as Richmond. And a third of them don't answer the phone. A third of them say, no, we're okay, we don't need any more food. And then the last third are like, actually, you know what? We could use 10 sandwiches or 15 sandwiches. I'm like, awesome, and I have 485 sandwiches. And I swear, I felt like my grandmother I was like, please, anybody take this food, eat it, you're so skinny, take it, eat it. Um, <laughs> And I just remember thinking, gosh, how much more effective, how much more efficient this would be if those who have food could say, hey, we have food, and those in need of food could say, hey, we could use that food, and we match these two people, clear the marketplace, and solve a real problem for both of them. And so that's what we you know, went off to build. And at first, it was like Tinder for sandwiches. Um, and now it's much more robust, and it's basically we've created a technology platform. And on one side of the marketplace, it's nonprofits, and they create essentially dating profiles. They'll say, you know, this is who we are, this is the kind of food we can accept this day, this time, this kind of quantity, this is our refrigeration capacity, and they can store these profiles into, you know, the cloud. And on the other side, businesses, so our customers are, you know, hospitals, universities, corporate cafeterias, restaurant groups, um, stadiums, arenas. Ho uh, ho hotels, they request pickups of their excess food and you know, they'll input what kind of food they have and what quantity, which, and whenever they hit like, I'm ready for pickup, it'll automatically dispatch a driver to go pick up that food, directly drop it off to a nonprofit. The nonprofit signs a tax deduction receipt. So, you know, these businesses can get a, a full deduction for, you know, giving food they would have otherwise thrown away. And they'll also send back photos and testimonials of the people that were fed. So you get to see the impact that you made by spending just a few minutes of your time, essentially, going copia. Well, I think it's amazing because you said during your talk, it's 26 minutes is the sort of reaction yeah. time in the Bay yeah. and 11 minutes in the city, which is quite astounding. I do want to talk about the nonprofit piece or the, the for-profit piece, because I think the second I heard your story and I think your first effort you did was a nonprofit. You're for-profit, so you're actually creating a win-win situation. You're solving a problem. You're doing good, but you're also allowing people to do tax write-offs, fulfill this CSR, you know, sort of checkbox that a lot of companies want to be able to fulfill. What made you decide to go down that path? And why, I guess let me ask you a slightly different version. Why is it that more nonprofits don't go down this path and create this win-win situation? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why most nonprofits don't, but what I know for my sake is that, you know, we say that we are solving the world's dumbest problem. 
because in a world with so much technology, so much innovation, so much abundance, issues like hunger shouldn't exist. Especially not when we waste three times more food than there are amounts to feed. And so, you know, it's not a lack of food that's the issue, it's just an ineffective distribution of that food. So hunger is not a scarcity problem, it's a logistics problem. And so, you know, solving the world's dumbest re problem requires some of the world's smartest people, who at least in the Bay Area require salary. But more than that, we are creating much deeper value than uh, for these businesses and these nonprofits than just uh, picking up and dropping off their food, right? We're providing them data and analytics. We're a huge data company that you know, enables these businesses to understand why is this waste happening? Is it Indian food? Is it Chinese food? Is it on Mondays? Is it on Fridays? Is it raining outside? And so whenever it rains outside, you know, employees don't want to come to work. And so so much food is wasted. Um, we help them unlock tens of millions of dollars in tax savings because, again, this food has value. Whether or not your employees eat it or your patients eat it, like it has value. And now you can capture that value in these, you know, these enhanced tax deductions where it makes financial sense to do the right thing. And then we also do, you know, creative marketing and uh, customer marketing where we'll help these businesses tell their story and share how, like, help them share with their stakeholders that their food, it's just too good to be wasted. We certify businesses, we you know, help them quantify what their impact is, how many people did they feed, what was their methane offset, how many LaCroix equivalents of water conserved, um, and, and the whole gamut. So you know, it, it makes financial sense to do the right thing. And you know, Copia is the only business that I at least know of that every person involved wins. You know, so when we recover more food, we feed more people. When we recover more food, businesses get more of a financial savings from that. When we recover more food, more people get fed, obviously. Um, and we generate more revenue, which makes our investors happy. Um, we recover more food, less food is you know, s put into the landfill. And so methane isn't emitted. So there's, there's everybody wins here. The pe people win, you know, the planet wins, um, and you know, we can make a business out of it. So it's a, it's a good point, and you've come a long way from the zip car and the 500 sandwiches. Um, I think the stats we were talking about before is that you've diverted over a million pounds of edible food from landfills and provided, you know, closing in on $11 million um, worth of food to local nonprofits. But that number I mentioned earlier, the 133 billion pounds, that's a lot uh, I know you talked, I think, at one point in an interview I read about scaling. What are you doing to scale? Because while you have come a long way, there's still a long way that, that could be, you know, gone. I mean, we've barely scraped the surface, a surface of what is even possible with Copia. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't want to pretend like I can do this by myself. You know, I've never created a movement before. And and. That's what we're doing here. We're creating a movement, and not in the corny sense, but in the sense that we need everyone to be involved for us to make a dent in this. Like, if we even recovered 25% of the food that's currently being wasted, like, we would, 5% of food would feed 25 million people. You know, and we can do that. I mean, there it makes financial sense now. There's there needs to be obviously a huge amount of education that is done, um, and that's where we could use your your help and also your audience. Now you guys are empowered. You you know, gentlemen and ladies are empowered in in knowing the fact that businesses aren't going to be held liable for donating food, irrespective of it, whether it's like that day it's going to expire or it's prepared food, whatever it is, you can donate that food. And now you're a message carrier. And also, I mean, we're also we just did a partnership with a national distribution company. So, 
you know, the, the really what one of the inhibitors for copia was like, that I was really frustrated with was like, why am I trying to build Lyft or Uber uh, while, I bring while I build copia? when Lyft and Uber exist. And so think about that kind of model. And we've basically built an, uh, a national distribution partnership uh, with a company that is in 600 cities, will be in 1,600 cities at the end of the year. They raised half a billion dollars in funding and they essentially are known for transporting food specifically. And so we've partnered with them um, to help us scale through these cities. And we're much more a technology, you know, data analytics company um, that you know, we can accept, we can businesses from every corner of the country can sign up and we need them to we want them to whether you're a hospital or a corporation or you know whatever you are you know you have excess food we want it and we want to get it to people who are in need well, I like that analogy and that was the profound thing that Lyft did it was the or you know Uber originally and then Lyft and really uh, Airbnb was it wasn't creating you know a new hotel or a new car service it was a platform where Matt you can match make right and that's really the critical piece I do want to shift gears out of respect for all of our times here to the last three questions. And these are more sort of the get to know you questions. And I'm personally curious about the first one. Um, I like to ask all of our guests, you know, tell me something about yourself that people don't know that you're willing to share. Sure. Um, I'm sure I could find a more interesting, but top of mind is I was born in Lahore, which is, you know, a city in Pakistan. And it was a little too conservative for my family. So they picked us up and they moved us to Las Vegas. And so I grew up in Las Vegas and, um, you know, the city of access, actually. And uh, so it wasn't until I you know, was going to join the ROTC and go to college at Berkeley that I moved even beyond Las Vegas. And but I mean, it's shaped my my upbringing in a very profound way and uh but yeah it's something random i have to say it's almost like you couldn't get two more polar opposite you know uh experiences. i mean there's i think that like it's interesting that my life is so contradictory you know whether it's like being um in rotc and like having the military at berkeley or being a muslim and in the military you know in in just these extremes uh, being a muslim in las vegas being a woman in, in tech i mean there's so many of these things that i'm trying to break and i don't do it because i want to break them but because they just get broken and um and and to like my life i think it's so easy to look at the path and be like oh obviously this makes sense but when i was going through it like it definitely didn't make sense like these there were so many hard awful days i mean i i said it to actually an investor once um he was like well how can i believe that you're gonna succeed uh and i said you know mike i have crawled through the pit fires of hell to even be standing in front of you so I'm not going to go anywhere. It's just whether or not you're going to be part of that journey. Well, it's a good answer. And uh, I know you've scrapped a lot. So kudos to you. Second question I like to ask is just helping the folks as I talk to all these smart people about, you know, how they can build their library. Any books that you've read or listened to over the last year or two that you'd like to share with the, the yeah, listeners? I think one of my favorite books that I at least read once a year is The Alchemist. And it's by Paulo Coelho. It's been translated in gajillion languages and um, you know one of the one of the things that I love about that book it says that when you find your personal legend your reason for being the entire universe conspires to help you achieve it and you know I definitely feel that way and it talks about someone's journey and how they get through life and how do they you know find deeper purpose and so it's a personification of so much more so that's one of my favorite books um, I also recently read uh, The Power of Habit and just how you can't necessarily like end a habit 
Uh, but you have to replace that habit and just how habits are formed and you know, how are they developed and et cetera. So I think that's also an interesting thing because I definitely, there's a few habits that I would love to break, procrastination being you know the top of that list. So it was- I think there are probably a lot of people that have that at the top yeah, of the list. Yeah, definitely. All right, so we'll ask the last question. This is a fun one. Um, <laughs> you're on a deserted island and you can only have taken one album with you. Uh, I know that, you know, albums feel outdated, although they're making a comeback. Which album would that be and why would you choose yeah, it? Yeah, you know, so I'm Pakistani and um, I'm a true fan of Bollywood music. And so I would definitely bring something that would make me want to dance because if I'm on a deserted island, I'm not trying to like cry and, or think about romance. Um, and so it would probably be the Laramandi, which is um, this like Punjabin band. And for like people in the audience who want to see something hilarious, if you look up Dunak Dunak Dun, T-U-N-A-K, T-U-N-A-K, T-U-N, and then white guys. It will show you white guys dancing to this song, and it's hilarious. But it's just a really upbeat music that makes you want to dance and be happy, and I'm all about that. So Maya, who puts these sort of compilations together, <laughs> note that we are going to link to that yes. because we need to do that in the blog post. White guys dancing to the Laramanthi. So yes. usually this is where I wrap it up, but I do want to insert one more piece, which is you've talked a little bit about a call to action, but like let's be really prescriptive. Is it following you know Kopi? Is it following you? Is it you know, what, what can people do? Like, what are three things people could do to sure. really help I mean, Copia and you move this forward? Though I appreciate following us on, you know, Facebook and, and LinkedIn and Instagram, et cetera, both Komal, me as a person, but also Go Copia. I think we need something so much bigger than that. Like I said, we're creating a movement and it's going to take a lot more than just you liking a post. It's going to take you talking to your businesses, your corporations, your hospitals, your hotels, your restaurant groups, and you're telling them that like, you need to work with Copia. You need to realize that there's a solution out there for your excess food. And every time they tell you no, you have to realize that this is not my first rodeo and I will empower you with all the information and all the reason. There is no justification for businesses to waste their food when there's a solution that exists. So, um, and, and also then spreading the fact that they're not gonna be held liable. I think I need audience members to be messengers in this movement because it's the messenger that matters just as much as the message. And I think it'll be really powerful when audience members really speak about that. And then, um, so, you know, sign up your business. Remember, we are a paid for service, but we provide, you know, both top line and bottom line benefits where your ROI is at least 80% or higher, um, which is kind of crazy. And then for people who work with nonprofits, so whether you're an after school program for underprivileged youth, your veterans agency, your homeless shelter, your senior citizen home, uh, whatever kind of nonprofit you run, we want to provide you high quality excess food for free. And so sign up your nonprofit. And I mean, you know, we're also hiring. So if you are um, interested in an internship, and there's definitely, we're looking for a head of product and a software engineer and so many other uh, roles, definitely sign up. We want to solve the world's dumbest problem. It requires some of the world's smartest, kindest, most resilient people, and we would love to have you join the team. So on that note, that's a perfect way to end. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast show. I've just spent the last uh, 20 minutes with Komal Ahmad, founder and CEO of Copia, do-gooder and uh, general, genuine nice person. So thank you, Komal. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to our W2O audience for listening in. Woo! Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, 
and view the podcast page at whwillgroup.com slash what to know.